Good morning. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Flipped this summer, and that is not teaching you how to do somersaults or, or cartwheels. Rather, we're looking at the words of Jesus, commonly called the Beatitudes, from the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus flips our thinking. He takes the things that we think would be uh, uh, cursed or curses, and rather flips our thinking, says, no, those are really blessed. Well, today we're up to another one of these places where Jesus flips our thinking. The next beatitude says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, people that were listening to Jesus preach this Sermon on the Mount, they understood what hungering and thirsting was all about. They understood that concept. The common folks in the first century understood the, the, the importance of water very, very well. They knew what it was like to be away from a well or be away from a spring and to not have water and the danger that that would incur. Water was a very important commodity in the first century. You've heard, uh, uh, sometimes you've, you've heard Jesus' words where he said it rains on the just and the unjust. And sometimes that has been preached uh, as if that was meaning that, that good or bad things happen to the to good people and bad people. Bad things happen to, to, you know, everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. But in fact, Jesus was meaning in that just the exact opposite. Because rain was a good thing in the first century. So when he said, said it rains on the just and the unjust, Jesus is saying God gives good things to those good folks and God is so gracious and loving and kind. He gives good things even to the scoundrels. He gives good things even to those that, that don't deserve it one bit. It rains on the just and the unjust. They get good things because water was a commodity, a very precious commodity. They understood the, the importance of water. For us in the 21st century, that's a little bit different. You know, we're, we're never very far from a drinking fountain. From Who would have thought 20 years ago that people would actually pay for water in a plastic uh, uh, container? That's crazy. We never did that as kids. If you needed a drink, you went to the, the faucet. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't pay, pay money for water in a bottle. But we do now. We understand that we're never very, very, very far away from, from water. Of course, we in Flint, we've, we've discovered also the importance of, of, of clean drinking water. When the Flint water crisis first started, I had a friend of a friend who called me up, who owned a water filtration system company. And I didn't know this guy, but a friend of mine, he's a friend of a friend of mine. And so he called me up and said, listen, we have the premier water filtration company in the country, and we will give you our system for your church free of charge if you want it. It's like a six to $8,000 system. And I said, well, we really don't need it. We're on Detroit water. We're not on Flint water, and so we don't need it. I said, but, but... I have a friend who pastors a church in the city of Flint that would love to have it. Would you give it to him instead of us? And that was uh, uh, Pastor McCatherine at Joy Tabernacle. And so he said, sure, you know, we'll, we'll give it to him. And so, so, so we got uh, them to give Joy Tabernacle this water filtration system. A couple plumbers from here went and installed it. And, and I was down there on the day they were installing it. And Pastor McCatherine came out. He was so happy. And he said, oh, I'm so thankful for this. Thank you so much for getting this done for our church. He said, now our people will be baptized again. And it never crossed my mind that the folks in his church didn't want to be baptized even in the Flint water. It just never, never crossed my brain. 
And so we understand, I think, the importance, we maybe more than, than other places even, the importance of clean, safe drinking water. Which, by the way, here's your commercial. Pastor McCatherine is going to be here speaking on our Mission Sunday in September, September 23rd. That'll be a week after the Convoy of Hope event, which I hope you can all participate in. That's where we go to, to Bassett Park, and we have this huge, huge event. Last year, there were several thousand people that came, 700 volunteers. We need a bunch of volunteers from here as well that will help us participate in that. And so Pastor McCatherine will be here um, and talking about you know, how, how God is working in the city of Flint and how we're participating in that. But, but we understand, I think, the importance of, of clean, safe drinking water. The people in the first century understood that too. They also understood very well the importance of, of hungering and what that meant and the importance of food. It's not like they could run off to Meyer or, 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 or Kroger or Hamity Brothers down in Flint. They, they couldn't do, do that. They understood the importance of food and the importance of, of, of what a famine could do to a community and to a people. And so Jesus is telling these folks who understood that very well, just as, you, just as you long a cool cup of water on a hot day, and just as you hunger for a good meal after you've worked hard all day. So that's how you need to crave righteousness. That's how you need to hunger and thirst after the things of God. Myron Augsburger was the president of Eastern Mennonite University, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. He's, he's in his late 80s now. But I remember one time, one sermon that he preached when he was talking about this passage and he talked about righteousness being a right relatedness, a right relation to God. And the question is, is that what you desire? A right relation with God? Do you hunger after that right relation with God? Do you thirst after that right relationship with God? Do you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough? Or do you hunger for that deep relationship with God? Clarence Jordan says that hungering for, for righteousness is an unsatisfied appetite for the right. Is that you? Jesus said, blessed are you. When you hunger and thirst after the things of God. Blessed are you when, you when you hunger and thirst, when you crave that right relatedness with God. Blessed are you when, when, when the more of God you get, the more of God you want. Blessed are you when the closer you draw near to God, the closer you want to be. Blessed are you when, you when you crave nothing but Jesus. Blessed are you is what Jesus was saying. Well, there's a story in the Bible, a lady who I think understands, encapsulates what we're talking about. Her story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, a very, it's one of my favorite stories. I say that all the time, but this really is it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm going to read it from Mark's account. Uh, this is a lady. It's, her story is told in Mark chapter 5. She had been sick, very sick, for 12 years. She had tried everything that she could try for 12 years, no remedy. She had gone to every doctor she could possibly go to. Nothing worked. In fact, she was getting worse. This is how Mark tells her story in chapter 5, verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she she had gotten no better. In fact... She'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up from behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. 
For she thought to herself, if I can touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone from him, so he turned around into the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I love this. I love this story. The Bible tells us that this lady had spent all of her money on trying to be well over the last 12 years. She had bought every type of snake oil and whatever salesman was coming by. She'd see every doctor that she could possibly see. Of course, we're talking the first century. There wasn't modern medicine like there is now. She tried every homespun remedy and nothing worked. For 12 years, nothing worked. Her condition was bad. You've heard other sermons preached when the pastor has preached about leprosy, and you know that scourge on the first century and how terrible of a disease leprosy was. Not only was it terrible physically, but it was terribly emotionally because the people who had leprosy were quarantined, were cast out of the city, and had to live in you know, a leper colony or amongst other lepers. They couldn't be near them. They were considered unclean. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible condition. You've heard sermons about that. Well, similarly, this lady would have been in a similar shoes in many ways. Because according to the Old Testament, buried in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, there's a whole chapter about dealing with women like her that had a bleeding disorder. And in that whole chapter, I'll save you all the gory details, but her, 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 her condition was that she was considered unclean. What does it mean to be unclean? It doesn't just mean that you need a new bar of ivory soap. No, to be unclean meant you couldn't go to the synagogue. Ever. No worship services. Ever. For 12 long years. If her grandkids were, were dedicated down front, she couldn't go. On high holy holidays, she couldn't go. You know, we live stream our services. If you're watching, hello. We, uh, uh, uh sell CDs of the services. If you want them, you can get online during the week and watch the service. If you uh, listen to 610 or 106.5 FM, our services are played over the, the sermons are played over the radio at 8.30 in the morning and at 8.30 at night on Sundays on the radio. You can get our services whenever you want to get them. Not so for this lady. It had been 12 years. 12 years of no worship, 12 years of, of none of that. Also, in Leviticus 15, tells us that not only could she not share the bed with her husband, she couldn't even sit on the same seat with her husband. If she touched anyone, they were considered unclean as well. If she came in contact with another person, they were considered unclean. So for 12 years, she would have been cut off. No hugs to her grandkids. No pats on the back. No real interaction for fear that she might touch them on accident. They would be considered unclean. And remember, in that society, to be considered unclean was really to be considered, especially for 12 years, it must, you must have done something terribly wrong. I mean, there's only one explanation for your condition, and that is that you offended God so badly that you've been suffering for 12 long years. I mean, what you did must have been awful. And if God thinks that you're awful, well, quite frankly, I think you're awful too. That was her life 
for the last 12 years, completely cut off. Imagine. Imagine her existence. Imagine her going through that day after day after day. No wonder she spent every penny she had to try to get better, every penny she had to try to be well because she was desperate. But then she heard. She heard that Jesus was coming to town. She heard a few things about Jesus. She heard that Jesus had healed the blind and made lame people walk. And so she thought, wow, Jesus, if it's true, if Jesus is coming to town, I'll go and I'll meet with him and we can sit down over a cup of coffee and I'll explain to him about what the last 12 years of my life have been like and I'll tell him my problems and maybe, just maybe, he'll heal me and touch me and I'll be well. I can't wait. Tomorrow, Jesus is coming to town and if I can just get two minutes of your time, Jesus, that's all I need, two minutes of your time and I'll tell you my story story and you can help me. The next morning uh, she awoken and she heard a commotion out on the street. It was a large commotion. It was a little town, but she had heard a large commotion and, and, and she thought that surely can't be the Jesus crowd. But she went to her window and sure enough, it was the Jesus crowd. Uh, there was a huge group of people coming down the road. She hadn't anticipated such a crowd seeing Jesus. Her hopes of Jesus healing her, her hopes of meeting with him, sitting down for a cup of coffee and taking a couple minutes of his time and explaining her situation went out the window. You see, she had a problem. She had a big problem. Remember, I told you she was unclean because of her disorder. She wasn't allowed to to be around crowds. She She couldn't touch anyone. You've been in crowds. You can't go through a crowd without touching someone. My goodness, when I had our boys were younger, they'd sit in the back seat and it wouldn't be 10 minutes into the car. Dad, he touched me. And it's just the two of them in the back seat. You know, he's touching me. I'm touching him. Blah, 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 blah. Stop or I'm going to pull this car over. You know, you couldn't go through a crowd without touching someone. So what if she went into the crowd and what if someone saw her and what if they recognized her and said, hey, what are you doing? Or what if she touched somebody? Of course, she's going to. Hey, you touched me, you awful woman. What are you doing out here? Can you imagine her decision? But this lady, this most folks would have said, that's it. I guess I I won't be able to see Jesus. I guess he won't be able to touch me. I guess I won't have that conversation. I guess that's just it. But this lady wasn't like most folks. This lady, she just, she just, she just knew she had to see Jesus. You could say she was hungering and thirsting to see Jesus. And so she decided she was going to make her way through the crowd. Because she wasn't like most. Now she realized quickly that she has a second problem. Not only was she not supposed to be in the crowd, but there's a second problem. What I didn't read to you in Mark chapter 5 is that someone already had Jesus' attention. Not just someone. A guy by the name of Jairus already had Jesus' attention. Jairus was a very important person. You were told that he was the synagogue ruler. Now that might not mean anything to you, but a synagogue ruler was really important. Think of him as the, uh, uh, he was in charge of the civic affairs, the educational affairs, the religious affairs for that town. So that meant that he was the, uh, um, like, he would be like the mayor of the town, the school superintendent, and the best preacher all rolled into one guy. He's a really important person. And he's got Jesus' attention. And his need is urgent. His daughter is in bed, sick and dying. In fact, we would read, if we read the whole story, we'd learn that this, his daughter's going to die. 
Now, of course, she's going to be one of the three people that Jesus raises from the dead that we're told about. And, 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 but at this point, Jairus doesn't know that. All he knows is that his daughter is at the point of death and he's got to get Jesus to his daughter so he, she can be well. And so you've got to figure that this very important person, very influential, he's got Jesus' attention. Jesus is going with him. There is no way. Why in the world would Jesus stop for this unclean woman who had been suffering for 12 years? Obviously, she had been cursed by God. That's why she had it for 12 years. There's no way Jesus would stop for her. He's already got the attention of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. But again, this lady, she's not like most folks. And she, that doesn't stop her. And so we're, we're told, Mark tells us, he, he lets us in into her thought process. And Mark says in chapter 5, verse 28, her thinking, and she thinks, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. I don't have to talk to him. I don't have to bother him. I know he's with Jairus. I don't have to stop him. I don't have to interrupt him. If I could just, if I could just touch his robe... And so that's exactly what her plan was. She started to go through the crowd, kind of fighting her way through the crowd. I know she's not supposed to touch people, but she was touching people. She was going through the crowd. She thought she saw his, 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 his robe or maybe his, his beard or maybe it was his hair. That must be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Everyone's crowding around him. And that gave her maybe a little bit more energy. Remember, she'd been sick for 12 years. If you had a blood disorder for 12 years, your, your energy level would be low. But I think she was invigorated. There's Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus, whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And so she saw him. And finally, as he was going by, she saw that robe, nothing fancy. That's Jesus' robe. She knew that was her chance. And she lunged ahead and she grabbed a hold of it. And the Bible tells us immediately, in Luke's version of the story, he says, immediately the bleeding stopped. Twelve long years, terrible disease, grueling disease. For twelve long years, she grabbed a hold of Jesus and immediately the bleeding stopped. And Jesus, Luke says, immediately said, who touched me? And Peter, one of the disciples, said, what are you talking, Jesus, what are you talking about? Who touched you? We're in a crowd. There's a crowd of 500 people. Who touched you? Probably half these people touched you. What are you talking about, Jesus? Who touched you? Are you kidding me? You're... Who touched you? And this, the lady tells us, or the Bible tells us, that the lady fell down at his feet. And Luke's account said that she told what happened. She started blurting out her story. I imagine that she fell at Jesus' feet and she just started saying, you know, the, the last 12 years had been like and she had this bleeding disorder and she didn't know what to do and she had hoped that they could sit down over a cup of coffee but she knew that that wasn't going to happen and there was a crowd and she knew he was a Jairus and she didn't want to take his time so she just reached out, she grabbed it, she grabbed it, she grabbed it and she was made well. Now two things happen in this story that don't happen anyplace else in the entire Bible. The first thing that happened that never happened anyplace else is that Jesus healed somebody and he didn't know that he healed somebody. He didn't know who he healed. The Bible says immediately the bleeding stopped. She could feel it from her body. She had been healed from this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? 
That never happens anyplace else in the Bible. Always, 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 when Jesus heals somebody in the Bible, it's, you know, he sees a blind guy, heals a blind guy. Sees the leper, heals the leper. He sees the lame guy, heals the lame guy. Sees the demon-possessed guy, heals the demon-possessed guy. Every other time. But here, she reaches out, grabs it, and Jesus didn't know who he healed. He knew he healed somebody, didn't know who it was. Why is that? I got a theory it's just the Rob Prince theory. It could be wrong, but I'll share it with you. I, I, think, I think that Jesus just, that she was just healed just by grabbing his robe just because, just because God thought, all right, 12 years of suffering is long enough. No need for conversation. No need for explanation. No need for hoopla. Enough is enough. 12 years is long enough. You're healed. God knows what you need when you need it. And you are not going to suffer one second, not one second longer in your circumstance. You are not going to go through, through your issue one second longer. As you're hungry and thirsting after God, not one second longer. You grab a hold of Jesus. You know, in her case, she grabbed a hold of Jesus. She was healed immediately. God's timing is always perfect. And if you're dealing with a situation and you've given that over to God and you're in your timing, it should have been taken care of, but it hasn't been taken care of yet. Just know this. God is never, God is never late. He is always on time and his timing is always perfect. I understand this lady a little bit. You know, you know my story. It's been, it'll be 11 years in December that I had my subarachnoid hemorrhage. And so so for the last 11 years, you know, I've been dealing with some of the consequences of that experience. And, 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 and I'm, you know, I don't complain about it. It just is what it is. Half the people that have what I had died. And so I didn't die, so I'm thankful for that. But, you know, it's been 11 years. That lady's got me beat by a year. Um, tomorrow I go and get my injections. Every three months I go and get 40 shots in my head. Pop, 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 pop. It's, it sounds worse than it is. It just, you know, I just go and they give it and then, then, then it lasts for a couple of weeks and then I'm done. And I, and, you know, and I, and, and, you know, I've written a book about that. About chronic pain and dealing with it. And it's been 11 years and God hasn't healed me. Much to Carla's chagrin. And you've heard me say, you know, I'm in sales, not management. You know, it's not my decision. When God wants to heal me, he'll heal me. If God wants to heal me, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. If God wants to give me the grace to deal with migraines on on the consistent level that I do, wonderful, wonderful. He gives me the grace. But for this lady, 12 years, long enough. Not one more second. A second thing that happens in this story that never happens anyplace else in the entire Bible you know, again, this lady had, had this terrible disease for 12 years. Leviticus 15 declares her unclean. She should not have been in the crowd. She should not have been there. She should not have been in public. She was. She reaches out, grabs Jesus, and heals him. And, 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 and Jesus heals her. But she doesn't know. And then he turns around and says, who, healed, who, 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 did, who touched me? And she doesn't know, because we're told that she's fear and trembling. She doesn't know if Jesus is going to be mad about that. And she's not sure how Jesus is going to respond to that. Jesus later would say, say, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he's not saying, okay, Leviticus 15, it doesn't count anymore. 
And so she falls at Jesus' feet because she doesn't know how he's going to respond. Is he going to say, lady, you shouldn't be here. I'm taking back your healing. You got that blood disorder all over again. She doesn't know. And so she falls at Jesus' feet and she's, she's weeping and trembling. And Jesus looks at her and says to her, the only place in all the Bible that Jesus says this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Daughter. Jesus never calls another woman in all of the Bible daughter right here. She's the only one. And you think, oh, pastor, what's the big deal? It's like saying if somebody you don't know their name, you say, hey, buddy, how's it going? I think there's more than that that's going on here. I think this lady, she, had, she needed to be healed, yes. She had been, had this disorder for 12 years. She spent every penny she had on trying to be healed. Of course she needed to be healed. She was healed. Jesus was with Jairus. He needed to get to his house. His daughter is dying. In fact, is going to die. Jesus is in a rush. He didn't need to turn around. He didn't need to look at her. He didn't need to say anything to her. She was already healed. But Jesus knew that there was more healing that needed to take place than just her blood disorder. Imagine 12 years of being isolated, 12 years no worship, 12 years not being able to hug your grandkids. He knew that she needed somebody to look at her in the eye and say, daughter, child of mine, I love you. You're well. Your suffering is over. And I want you to know Jesus will come to us. He knows what we need. Some of you here, you don't have a physical problem at all. I mean, you physically, you're doing great. But emotionally, you're a mess. And you've got pain so deep in you, no doctor has been able to cure it. And you need to hear the master come to you and say, daughter, daughter, your suffering is over. Son of mine, your suffering is over. It's done. You see, I believe that Jesus knows what we're going through. I believe that he knows exactly what's in our heart. And I believe that he knows what we need when we need it. And remember, our lesson today is he's flipping our thinking. He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. Blessed are those who haven't figured out. Blessed are those who are these, these theological and holy giants. No, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are craving after the things of God. Blessed are those who, the closer they get to God, the closer they want to be to God. Blessed are those people, the ones who are striving after it. You see, the goal, the goal, the lady understood it. The goal is getting to Jesus. Blessed are those that will say, I'm stopping at nothing. And if I'm feeling empty on the inside, or if I've got some physical problem on the outside, or if I've got something going on with this, blessed are those that just say, I'm stopping at nothing until I get to Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. Lord, help us to be like that lady in Mark chapter 5 who while she had a great need, she had a greater savior and she had a desire to be with you, whatever it took. She wasn't gonna stop. She was hungering and thirsting after you. Let that be us. Help us to hunger and thirst to crave you and to say, I need Jesus. I need more and more of him. And the more I get of him, the more I want of him. And I just want to be his, completely his, totally his. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.